surrender the outcome. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. can't worry about that. Where we're at in Minnesota, we talk about win the possession, right? It's not about, we don't talk about wins and losses. We don't even talk about championships. We talk about each possession, let's win the possession and also enjoy the, enjoy the grind, enjoy the, the work of, of the tough stuff, enjoy who you're doing it with, enjoy the good days. The good days are better and, and, and you enjoy them more when you've, you've had days that are rough, right? Yep. And, and yep. you know what that feels like, but it is hard for some, if what you're doing, whether it's basketball or anything else, if you don't have a passion for it or don't maybe care and you know what I mean you don't care or you maybe don't care about the, about the people then I think it is hard for people just to give everything and there's the you don't want to look like a failure you don't want to not look good doing something or you don't you know what I mean you just it's that mindset of just kind of you got to let it go because how do you ever know how good you're going to be and that's what you try to tell them is that if you don't give the effort then you'll never know and you'll honestly never get to where you really want to be I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplores.com. If you're inspired by improbable life journeys, as I am, then you will surely be inspired by my guest today, three-time Olympic gold medalist, Katie Smith. Katie grew up in a small town in Southern Ohio. As a young girl, she liked playing basketball with the boys as much as she liked the challenge and discipline of her tap dance and ballet lessons. She'd headed off to college intending to become a dentist like her father, but the university basketball coaches already had their eyes on her. After a storied college career, a professional basketball championship and three Olympics, she now coaches the Minneapolis Lynx pro team. Her story has lessons for all of us about the motivation, work, and learning it takes to be the best in any endeavor. And I bet you'll find the tips she gives her players can help you go for the gold in your own field. So Katie Smith, you are such a, a legend and an idol here in the greater Ohio area. And it's just a delight to have this chance to actually sit and talk with you instead of just seeing you run back and forth on a basketball court. Welcome. Oh, it's, it's, I'm pumped to, to chat it up with you. And again, it, it, yeah, we don't ever really get this chance to, to sit and uh, just chat about the careers and life. Yeah. You know, you are, yours is really a remarkable story. You're from a small town in sort of south central Ohio, 
middle of three kids, as I understand it, yeah. the girl sandwiched between two boys. You got it. <laughs> and yet your arc has taken you through MVP, college basketball, Olympics, pro game, now coaching. Mm -hmm. How did that all start? Who was Katie Smith when she was four? <laughs> it's interesting, right? I, and I, I look at the same thing. It's just like, what? Like, this wasn't like, it just wasn't in your mind. This didn't, just didn't exist, this life. But when I was younger, so yeah, I have two brothers. You know, my dad was a dentist. Mom was a teacher, but then obviously she decided to stay at home and raise us. So she was a stay at home mom and then went back to teaching, but obviously helped my dad in his office and things. So I was a motivated kid. I was a hard worker. So even around the house and chores and, and, and just being outside, like I was kind of a doer. Yeah. You know, TVs weren't as accessible and obviously we didn't have the cell phones and things, but I wasn't a big sit down and watch cartoons or anything like that. I'd rather be outside messing with, you know, the dog, the animals, whatever. And our parents really just got us involved in everything. And they're from Cleveland. So they were from the city. They're from Cleveland, Ohio. Dad ended up at Ohio University to go to school. Mom ended up down there too. And they thought it'd be a great place to raise kids. Athens, Ohio is the town. Yep. So, you know, and they thought, okay, this would be a cool place to raise a family, right? And they yeah. dad went to Ohio State for dental school. So in that area, right? And uh, so dad and mom taught themselves to raise, you know, steers and sheep. Oh, wow. <laughs> you guys had land? You were not you were not in town, kids? Right. So we were about two miles out of town. It's not like far out okay. of town and not like a working farm by any means, but it was just like, hey, why not? Let's, <laughs> let's, have, <laughs> let's have some sheep. Yeah, steers and sheep. So my mom was a home ec major. So the sewing, cooking, whatever, but they just are like, all right, let's do this. I guess it was just, you know, the people they ended up knowing the 4-H advisors, but parents kind of just threw us in everything. I was in ballet and tap most yeah. of my childhood, obviously did all the rec sports, started to play bitty basketball in fifth grade uh, on an all boys team. And that's, you know, my first kind of organized basketball um, with all my buddies, you know, my brother was playing. So, so do you remember how you, whether you liked the tap and the ballet, did dancing appeal to you? I mean, at that age, were you kind of back and forth about the sports stuff and the dance stuff or it was just do stuff? I think it was just do stuff. I think the sports stuff was definitely more my, the athleticism, the, the competitiveness, maybe even the physicality. I don't, you know what I mean? But I, the tap and ballet, I went to Lancaster with Barbara Baker and she was really a great teacher. It was still coaching. It was still practice. It was still, you know, the fundamentals and the technique. So there was still this, it was sport, right? It was still the, the learning DNA. Yeah, exactly. Like it's still like, we're all, we went to competitions and, you know, you're all in line and the timing of things. So there's still an expectation of the precision and, and work and, and all that. So it, it all, it all comes together, right? I mean, all of the stuff we do ends up kind of making us and, and honing kind of who we are. So I liked it, um, but it wasn't obviously we compared to basketball or playing sports, like obviously that kind of has more, it gave me more juice or more fire than uh, yeah. dancing. Yeah. Were you the only girl on that little boys team back then? Were there other girls playing basketball? Not really. And you know, back, and I'm not, obviously I, you know, it's 50 years for title nine in the, the anniversary right now I'm 47 so I'm really like one of those Title IX babies of, of coming through with these opportunities. Yeah. Uh, but when I was growing up, so in fifth grade, you know, you know, I'm 10 years old or whatever. 
there weren't girls teams at that age, you know what I mean? Cause there weren't that yeah. many girls playing, but there wasn't the equal kind of, you know, now there's third grade teams of girls and boys, fourth grade teams of girls and boys. It just yeah. wasn't. So it was just, you know, one boys team, the Bobcats and my brother was playing. My mom asked if I could play and off we go. So very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Were you a good student as well? I mean, motivated and hardworking and disciplined. How how was the academic side of life? <laughs> yeah, so I was I was a doer. I did. I was very. Um, I'm, I'm the worker. Do all your homework. Study. You know, I was valedictorian in high school, but I was like like that was important, right? I'm doing doing well, and probably didn't like getting B's, and probably got a worked up and a little stressed about that. You know, I'm not type A, but I'm like I'm, but I like to do what I'm doing and do it well. Um, and so like with sports and that, and then your chores. So again, like I'm a task kind of task oriented person, you know, it's like, what do I need to do? I'll do it. Personality wise, like I'm way more talkative now when I was younger, I would talk with my friends or I was in class, but I wasn't the one that really wanted to seek out people and just da, 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 da. And then when I got recruited in high school and stuff, like, you know, we had a landline, thank goodness. But I would be like, mom, you call, like you call the coaches. Like, I don't want like, <laughs> to, I don't want to like you talk to them. You know what I mean? I remember, you know, even the academic advisors at Ohio state, they would they remember my parents, they asked all the questions and I just sat there. Cause I, I didn't want, <laughs> so the, 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 the personality, like I've always been like kind of social and fun and like whatever, but it wasn't like this extrovert, like over the top. So it was a little yeah. bit more observant. Yep. Kind of watch everything. But definitely I'm a task driven kind of watch, take, and then I want to know what I need to do and I'll do it. But the drive to do well it came from within. It wasn't yeah. some big parental pressure or. No, it really wasn't. You know, I watch, you know, you watch your parents with how they do things. My dad, yeah. he was a great dentist and very, you know, very detail oriented. And I thought I was going to be a dentist at some point, but the way he took pride in his work and then even doing the lawn, like, you know, if you're going to do something, do it as well as possible. Don't have somebody come back behind you and have to do it over again. So just taking pride in no matter what you're doing, right? Yeah. It's just, whether it's school, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, mowing the lawn, like whatever it yeah. is, try to do it at a, at a level that you take pride in and other people, you know, don't have to correct you. So that was kind of the example we had. My brothers and I are all wired a little different. Big brother probably took him a little longer to get kind of that, that drive, mm-hmm. but he played at Mount union, just maybe a little late bloomer, but he became a really successful high school football coach. And, and so he's, and he's, he's a really good coach, very detailed, puts the time in. So, and then little brother, he's a little bit more go lucky and probably the smartest out of the crew. Just <laughs> he got it. You know, he didn't have to read instructions. I was the, re- and I had to read everything and like study and do <laughs> You know what I mean? I wanted to just go for it. <laughs> he's just like, well, whatever. And then he's an orthopedic surgeon and he always wanted to be a surgeon. Really? That's say, interesting. Yeah. From, from young age, he wanted to, he, he loved, you know, fixing things and he always knew he was going to be a surgeon in some shape or form. And he ended up doing it. So it's cool. Kind of a, kind of a fun group. Yeah. They all work, but probably always was like that, like very focused on like, kind of like, this is what I'm doing. And it maybe had an idea of, at that age and when you're younger, I don't know if you, I didn't know I was going to play basketball. I thought I'd be a dentist. Like, honestly, I thought I was going to have a different career totally. When did you start realizing there was a whole different prospect? I mean, you were being recruited for college, right? right. For sports. Mm-hmm. 
and you did a zoology major. Yeah. So that, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that you think of sports top college athletes majoring in communications or general business or, you know, easier things than zoology. <laughs> yeah, no, I, cause I, again, so in high school, junior high, high school, you start getting recruited. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll get a chance to go play college sports. And it was also, I, I give my parents credit, you know, my dad played college football, but he never like talked about, this is what you're going to do. And you guys need to get scholarships. And it wasn't, it was just, they put us in things and allowed us to really kind of just explore Find your way. Were. Right. Yeah. And it was never like, you got to get a scholarship. It just, even though he did, and it just kind of organically happened. So you get, you start getting letters and you're like, Oh, I can go to college and play sports. Great. Right. So you get your education paid for, uh, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and all of us went to school and played sports. And, um, but so when I'm in school though, there wasn't a professional league, probably in high school, I did start thinking, you know, you watch the Olympics on TV and you're like, yeah. wow, I, mean, that would be I cool. mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's the Olympics. It's, and yeah. I love the summer Olympics and you're like, you know, how, how do they get there? Like how, like one day, maybe, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's like that uh, euphoria of like the largest, <laughs> it was amazing. So it kind of planted a seed in high school of like maybe, or how, or maybe someday. Or at least wouldn't it be cool? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that little uh, so you got planted and then in college, you I started to get involved with the USA basketball stuff, but there still wasn't any professional leagues. So I thought I was a pre-med, basically. That's what the, the zoology and ultimately I didn't finish my degree in four years. I went back in 08 and got it in life and human sciences. So I took a little non-traditional route because I thought I was going to dental school. Right. And I didn't finish my undergrad. I just had all my prereqs and was going to go to a graduate school and get everything. But of course, in 96 was a huge year of women's basketball and women's sports at the Atlanta Olympics. And the women's basketball team did a year round um, promotional tour training and two professional leagues came out of that. And I'm a senior in, in college. So that's kind of changed my trajectory. Yeah. Did you approach them? Were they recruiting you? You were a top scorer. You were an MVP. I mean, you were on the radar screen. Yeah, they recruited us, and obviously they needed players to fill. And so they have the players that are just coming out of college, the young players, but you're also bringing in some players that have been overseas playing who uh, had had a chance to be pl to play on the home soil. So you had a mix of those that had been playing professionally that were a little older that wanted this chance, and then you had some of the young folks who obviously perfect timing on my part. So – yeah, it's just like, honestly, those two leagues changed probably what I'll do with my life. I mean, honestly, it was it was probably going to go, I was going to play in the Olympics and then go back to dental school if these leagues didn't exist, because I don't know if I would have wanted to play overseas for a long period of time. I, I like stability a little bit. Obviously, I, did, I have not chosen well with playing <laughs> or coaching. But I, I think that the two leagues, though, kind of took me on a whole nother direction of something that I just didn't know I would end up in. So the two leagues in, that formed in 96, they were the Women's NBA and was it the American Basketball exactly, Association? ABL. ABA? Mm -hmm. ABL, right. And you played, when I first saw you on the court, was in 96 or 97 with the Columbus Quest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it was the ABL at that time. And okay. we they paid more money like for the season than the WNBA, but the WNBA had the infrastructure from the NBA side. Right. Whereas the ABO was a little bit more private investors that were trying to put, uh, you know, kind of these teams and infrastructures, ticket sales, marketing, everything together. Yeah. Build the whole machine. Right. So it was two different kind of 
startups in a way, but one had a little bit more of the, the backing and, uh, and were able to succeed, which is thankful to all of us that we had opportunities to have both, but then ultimately we definitely, we have the WNBA that is thriving and continuing to grow. Which is really spectacular. I mean, those, those were great games. Yeah. I remember very vividly watching those in 97. <laughs> I think this is, I, this is better than college ball. And it's for my taste, even better than men's basketball. Cause there was not the same, you know, superstar must run down court and slam dunk. Everyone else can watch kind of, it was real team sport. Yeah. It was a fun group and we won. And it was, for me, it was awesome because I, I grew up in, in Ohio, right? As a kid, yeah. and still kind of a kid at Ohio State. And you're somewhat in your little world, right? You're a student, college athlete. You say hello to fans. You kind of know them, but you don't really know them. And then to be able to be somewhat of an adult, like right after college, then you're, you're, you're getting paid. You're, you're a professional now. And then you get to actually meet some of the fans that have been a part of your life for so long and, and make friends and get to know people. And I mean, it was, I felt like it was just so, it was great because it built relationships that I, you know, obviously have now and, and, and that they've known me for so long and in different ways. <laughs> so yeah. for me, that was such a cool thing because we've had, you know, I have those bonds with those people and that we've shared these experiences and then I actually get to know them as adults basically. And, you know, you kind of, befriend and have uh, friendships that kind of are strong and kind of go through the ages. Yeah, those are important. Yeah. So how did the Olympics come around? I mean, do you put yourself forward to try out for Olympic trials? Does U.S. Olympic Committee come, must be a mix, they come searching and looking for talent? Tell me that story. It's kind of evolved. So they had the uh, sports festivals back when I was in college, so these north, south, east, west kind of competitions but they would invite you. They would invite you to a tryout. They, you would have these jerseys with numbers on them. You would practice and play for a few days with the committee watching you. And then they'd pick your number and tell you who made the team and who kind of moved on. There's multiple events, right? There's obviously the Olympics and the world championships, world cup, they call it now that are the main ones, but there's all these intermediate qualifying tournaments within, right? Um, smaller tournaments. So initially it was a large tryout and they kind of picked the team. As we evolved, they pulled a pool of players. So in, nine, in, in 2000, so in 96, I actually tried out and didn't make the team. I was an alternate. But in 2000, you were part of this pool and not 12, there's probably 20 or so. And they invited you to be with the team for the whole year to train. Out in Colorado? Well, it was, it was multiple places. So okay. we did spend time in Colorado Springs, but it's kind of evolved where we didn't always stay there, but we would go to different cities. And then we'd also go overseas to play competition and internationally. So it was a mix of everything, just training, some games, some tournaments. So yeah, they kind of, you're kind of part of that pool. They evaluate, they look at the, the, the talent that's out there and then they're like, this is kind of our pool of players. And then ultimately a committee picks the final roster. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be on the 2000 team and, and, and be in the mix and just was, you know, phenomenal to be, I mean, the kind of the represent the whole rigam and roar, the pomp and circumstance, the representing your country, it was just like kind of a dream come true and, and just very, very cool. Yes. But it's something I was really interested to ask you is whether, cause I'm, I've always been the same kind of little kid you were, you watch the Olympics and are just dazzled and moved by all those things. And and I always had two questions I was interested to ask you about that. One is, is it as idyllic an experience on the inside 
I mean, there's there's all that fanfare and all the glory and pomp and circumstance, but it's different being there as an athlete, really aiming to do well and ideally end up on the metal platform and ideally end up on the top rung of the metal platform. So what's that? What is that really like? What's it really feel like to be in the midst of all that with the flash on the outside and all your hopes and hard work sort of hanging in the balance over these next two weeks? It is. It, it lives up to it. It's, um, you know, especially your first one, you know, those are, you know, obviously if you're lucky to do it multiple times, but the first one, it's just representing your, your country and you have team USA, right? The, 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 the whole team. And then you have obviously your USA basketball team, you know, how they prepare you, you get all your gear, you, you have meetings about, you know, obviously behavior and, and, and representing your country. And, and then it's, you know, the, the, the magnitude of the venues and how much money these guys have put into to prepping and, and hosting an Olympics. We don't stay in the village. Uh, so we, we didn't, we always had a separate place. We stayed there one night in Greece in 04 to get a little bit of that vibe. So you don't have kind of that constant interaction with athletes because obviously the ultimate goal is to win and with our travel party and the men and, and some other things, it's just, it's not, it's not great. So we, and we also have the means to do it. So, but it is phenomenal. Like you're just all this group, you don't know much about some other sports and they don't know much about you, but you're just literally like gun ho about, you know, the USA. So, and then for us, you know, when you're prepping, you know, ours is different, right? The margin for error is, is, is larger, you know, some of these athletes literally train for years and years and years for one competition to make it to the Olympics. And if their body or a injury or yeah, it wipes them out. Right. So the margin for error for us, for a team sport is very different than maybe somebody that's trained for an individual. And those, like those stories are just like, I mean, they just crush you and they, you understand kind of the, the dedication, the sacrifice, and then also the money, like right there, they're literally trying to get sponsors of money and also work jobs to support themselves through this. So the Olympic, you know, team USA and the Olympic movement, you have all these different, so levels. many different stories. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's all the same, right. And it's the sacrifices of ultimately getting there, but it's, it's phenomenal to, to be with your, your team and to represent the USA and when, and to go into opening ceremonies. Yeah. Tell me about that. What were you feeling and thinking that first time, so your first Olympics was 2000. Yeah. Okay. And that was where? It was in Sydney, Australia. Okay. Fabulous venues. So there yeah. you are. You're wearing Team USA ceremonial uniform and you walk in the stadium. What does that feel like? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just like just a lot of pride and then like that excitement of like, whoa like you know what i mean and we am were I really uh, here was there some am i really here and of course there's the the usa part of it where it's one of the larger delegations and obviously yeah. australia is pretty large as well but the you know the roar of the crowd and and you know my parents were there and uh then my brothers came at that one so just like that pride of like holy cow like you made like it's like you did it and then again, seeing it, what you watched on TV and then and the flame coming in and, and how, you know, the country kind of shared their, who they are. And then obviously welcoming Olympics, but it was just like, you're in awe and just looking and trying to get every video or picture you can, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're trying to die. And then you, you know, but it's mostly, it's just like this unbelievable, like 
an experience to just kind of walk in with that type of uh, energy. It kind of gives you a, a jolt uh, when you walk I'll in. Bet. Yeah. So I've sometimes wondered if there's a parallel between one part of my experience as an astronaut and the Olympics. And I want your reaction to this. So I think if you get selected as an astronaut, it's kind of like you made the Olympic team. You're now part of that amazing group of people that probably you watched as a little kid on television. And when you're assigned to a flight and you're walking out to the launch pad to get aboard, I got to imagine there's something similar to walking into the stadium. You're this is it. You're, you are on the stage you had hoped to be on. And all of how the story comes out is still ahead of you. But that moment to walk onto that stage is still pretty doggone special. And then you complete the mission and you don't screw anything up and everyone's alive and it all worked well. Hop off the spaceship. And I got to believe that's like the moment that you guys hopped up on the gold medal platform. Because now you know how the story ends. And, and <laughs> all your investment, you hoped would end this way. And until that moment, you didn't know how it was going to end. No, you hope to, right? Yeah. You hope that you get a chance and a little bit of luck along the way and a yep. timing of things and you know how it is. And I think obviously being an astronaut, the, the piece of life and death is a tad bit different than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also believe, I also believe when you're in it, I would think for you is that you're so focused on your prep and who, and just being in it. And that's who you are. You've got to be in that moment. Yeah. yeah. You don't think about it. You right. just think about executing the game plan and, and what you're supposed to do. And that's kind of what you're made to do. And I know us on the outside, we're looking like, holy cow, this is like, a. <laughs> you guys are probably calm and understand, you understand everything. And, uh, but it is, it's, it's very much. So those parallels of kind of going into something prepping and but it's always, you never know how things are going to twist and turns, but to, to ultimately, you know, stand on the podium and ultimately you guys walking off that, the ship and just being like, I mean, it just gives you a feeling of overall pride and accomplishment and also gratefulness, like a, a thankfulness for like those that provided this opportunity for those that like helped you get there and all the small, you know, from your parents to your brother, you know, to your coaches and every single one of them. So I think there's a, all of that kind of comes through at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's an interesting psychology and I'm curious how you help your players now as a coach uh, get into this and maybe your younger uh, mentees as well, because, you know, you're all in on your effort, your preparation, despite not knowing if you'll get to the Olympics or if you'll get to that championship much less knowing how it will come out. And, you know, it's a particular mindset, I think, to be able to make that investment because your decision is, do I really practice hard today or not so hard? Because, you know, I don't know if I'll get the reward I want if I practice. You have to be all in on that decision every day, despite the not knowing. Did that come naturally to you? Yeah, I think for me, it was you know, you're always, it was just driven to try to be the best in your space, right? Just, you know, pushing a little harder and, you know, might be some of it might be fear of failure. It might be fear of somebody taking your job. Like, you know, we're all, we're all trying to find motivation to make ourselves kind of push ourselves to the edge and work harder to kind of, to get where we're at. But you're right. It's, we talk about it now. I'm, there's one saying is that surrender the outcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't worry about that where we're at in Minnesota, we talk about win the possession, right? It's not about, we don't talk about wins and losses. We don't even talk about championships. We talk about each possession. Let's win the possession and also enjoy the, enjoy the grind. 
enjoy the the work of, of the tough stuff enjoy who you're doing it with enjoy the good days the good days are better and 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 you enjoy them more when you've you've had days that are rough right yep. and, and yep. you know what that feels like but it is hard for some if what you're doing whether it's basketball or anything else if you don't have a passion for it or don't maybe care and you know what I mean you don't care or you maybe don't care about the about the people then I think it is hard for people just to give everything and there's the you don't want to look like a failure you don't want to not look good doing something or you don't you know what I mean you just it's that mindset of just kind of you got to let it go because how do you ever know how good you're going to be and that's what you try to tell them is that if you don't give the effort then you'll never know and you'll honestly never get to where you really want to be. So we we talk. So the win the possession, you know, surrender the outcome. It's just enjoying, embracing kind of every day, and and really just like taking it all, like enjoying all of it, like the good, the bad. Um, and also, it's it's our job to kind of you know frame it and make sure that we're doing things in practice that obviously yes, we're gonna work. But it's not like just beat you over the head and like you can't laugh and you can't fun and we can't chat it up. So but I think part of that's a personality, too. I think, you know, how people always are like, can you instill kind of a work ethic in people? Can you, you know, create that in somebody that drive? I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I'd like to hear your take because I don't some, I don't think you can you can teach some. But I don't if you don't have it, I think it's really hard to maybe make somebody like want that or I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think it is an interesting chemistry. It's, it's certainly not something you can install in somebody like right. loading software into your computer, right. <laughs> but I would imagine as a coach, part of what you're looking for is are there buttons, psychological, emotional buttons in each of your players that because what you're talking about there is something about, it's about caring. It's, it's about, caring about your standing, your excellence, your dignity. It's about caring about the purpose you're pursuing. It's about caring in a team sport, caring about doing your part for the rest of the team. And if, you know, if there's, I'm sure there's some personalities that just may not have many of those push buttons to get at, but if you can, I think, I think you maybe can elicit it from people if there's some in there. Yeah, I think there's, and again, it's connecting with them. And, and trying to figure out what motivates them, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and we're all wired different. And that's the one thing you, we all realize working with people and ourselves in general, that we you know where we come from, how we're raised, you know, our lived experiences, all of that stuff affects us. And, and that goes back to relationships. It goes back to trust. It goes back to authentically trying to get to know somebody. And it's not, yes, it's a job, but you can't, it's not just a job. Like, you know what I mean? It's, 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 you have to connect with each other. You have to find things within each other that, that you like and that you almost can love. Like, I love that about them. You know what I mean? So that at the end of the day, you'll take care of them. You'll, you'll, you'll help them. You'll, you'll be there for them. So I do think this, the human aspect of it, you know, the human emotion of all that we bring to the table every day (laughs) is important that you you know, you kind of acknowledge it. And obviously you can't be all over the place in a mess, but it, it, at least yeah. trying to get to know people so that you can. The team locker room is not your therapist's couch and your yeah. your workplace. It, it's, its purpose is not your psychological therapy, but there's a lot of room still to be, as you're saying, be be there as human beings together. You know, you've had a lot of coaches from your grade five team on up along the way. And 
I'm wondering what good lessons, you know, yeah, I want to do it that way if I ever lead people or coach, and maybe what not ever going to do it that way lessons you picked up from coaches along the way. Do you have sort of a good and a bad list of insights that you brought with you to your own coaching practice? Yeah, I think some of the best coaches, they're confident enough in themselves to allow us all to kind of be ourselves. So they embrace kind of what we all bring to the table, both personality and both game within a team concept of being selfless, being a team, you know, that's going to always compete, um, play defense, like within those things, they allow us to have moments where we snap back and have, you know, frustration and allow us to vent without us having to be put on the line. You know, they allow, they, the game is emotional. You are physically and mentally putting yourself on the line. You get hurt, you, whatever. So they, the coaches, some of the best coaches have allowed that room to kind of have those reactions, those, you know, obviously yeah. if you take it too far, but allowing you to be yourself, allowing you to be in all in and then working through that within the, the team concept. So I, I've always appreciated that some of the, you know, really great coaches and I'm working for one right now is the communication piece, how they can communicate not only laying out what they want from the team, right? The main pillars, your philosophy, but, and then how do you, the, the media and direct to the players, nipping stuff in the bud when things are going, you know, sideways, or maybe somebody's feeling some type of way, you know, the thought that goes behind it. I think as a player, when I was playing, you don't realize the, how much coaches are thinking about the players and what they need to do for them your senses they're thinking about the x's and o's not about the humans well and i was low maintenance right i didn't need a whole lot but you don't realize just how not calculated but the thought that goes into it for each and every player to make sure that they're good and what they need so i think the communication piece and i've had some that are really really good and then those that just have a perspective on it like we're going to work hard and, but we're, we're, we're going to enjoy the, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy what we're doing, but working hard allows us to enjoy what we're, what we're doing. So I think those are some of the things, just kind of the perspective piece, you know, the communication piece, and then obviously allowing to kind of create that environment where allowing you to be your best version of yourself and really bringing all of you not having to like tweak it, but like within the group, within the team kind of concept. Kind of not having to edit yourself and you know leave right. some of your personality at the door to fit in. Yeah, obviously you know morphing, smoothing some rough edges, yeah, you yeah. know certain times and growing. But you know we look at these guys and again I when I first started playing I I can't remember. I mean I was 18, 19, 20, 21. <laughs> I'm sure like even now like I probably would knock myself over the head at, at some of the things. You're a kid, right? You're a kid, you know, yeah. You're learning and and so we. Uh, that's the one thing about playing you, you know, now being a coach is that you've been in their shoes and you also know, he didn't know it all at that age and how, how far you've come and, and where you've come both emotionally, leadership wise, physically, and you understand, and you can kind of give them a pass. You just want to, you want to move the needle each time, like try yeah. to get a little bit better, a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any bad coaching experiences? I mean, the controversies and the horror stories that have been in the press the last year or so about coaching styles are you know pretty amazing not really I mean we had some hard ones mm-hmm. you know that that ran us but nobody that ever screaming yelling debasing you 
no, not the facing yelling. Sure. You know, yeah. some, you know, some things, but that nothing to where I felt like as a human or a person that I was just being beat up, like, you know, like mm. just, but it was, yeah, they were hard on us, but I also think, you know, us growing up was very different than maybe now mm. of, yeah, what was accessible, you know, allowed and, but also maybe we're built a little different. Honestly, I've had, I had almost everybody I've had, I really, every time I talk about it, I really had an amazing experience with sport. I, I feel lucky. Like I do when I hear the, the, the stories you talk about, I had, and I, and that's partly why like coaching now and then even playing, but just being a, a female athlete, I want to, I want to make sure I give back and promote this, the love of sports. And if I'm involved in it, giving, making sure the opportunity that I'm, that they're getting is a, is a pleasant one is one that they will look back on with positive thoughts, because I just think it's, it's so much fun and it's created so many opportunities that I would love for that to be the case with anything I'm involved in. So, you know, partly I've had such, you know, as I said, I've had great coaches and yeah, they hollered at us and made us do, I mean, some stuff I think was more mental, not torture, but mental preparation, <laughs> you know, running us, you know, all the time. Yeah. It's yes, like, you it's can like, run this far. Right. It's yeah. like a mindset. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm mentally, I'm mentally tough. Like I'm on, it's no problem. My body's fine. I mean, we'll push through. So I, I do. And so part of me now wants to make sure that I give back in a way that allows other, you know, females and girls to have these experiences that they'll look back on with a positive mind and, and, and enjoy what they're doing. What was your pathway to transitioning from player to coach? I mean, is there a formal training yeah. preparation part of that? Or is it sort of a, an apprenticeship on somebody's wing? And share some of the big ahas or lessons that you've learned as you stepped outside the paint. Yeah, it was definitely not a formal thought. Again, I played for so long. I didn't really have a, a, a set plan of what I was doing next, right? So it was it was a little bit of, all right, well do I really want to coach? I've been doing this for so long. It's the same life. It's the same travel. It's all yeah. that. And this is in your 30 somethings. Yeah. I'm 39. I'm, I'm 38, 37 when I'm, you know, going to my master's program and, you know, figuring this all out of like, do I want to or not? So I kind of well, didn't have anything locked in. And then I had uh, Bill Lambier, who was one of my coaches brought me to New York. He, he said, come play last year in New York and move over to the coaching side. And I was like, okay. I didn't have anything said. So I was like, sure. Kind of spur of the moment. Yeah. Like, all right. I'm not locked into anything. I love the game and somebody who I've played for. And I was like, sure, let's do it. So I did that. And one of the aha moments is, you know, they work hard, the coaches. It just, it really is another level of time commitment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Both the management of, you know, obviously the staff um, and the players, but it's not just you you're taking care of. You're literally thinking of the 12 players, you're working with your, your coaches, um, the film, the prep, both X's and O's, and then also just, you know, the logistics are also part, you know, managing the whole thing. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest things, just like the time commitment is just a lot, lot different than being a player. I mean, our lives are really easy compared to. <laughs> how how large, how large is the staff for a WNBA team? So it's not crazy. Obviously the men's side has more. So we have 12 players, 11, 12 players, but you have head coach. Now you're allowed to have three assistants. If you have a former player, a WNBA player on your roster, which is great to kind of that again, the mm -hmm. apprenticeship to bring somebody along. 
You have an ATC, maybe an uh, athletic trainer. Okay. And then you have your SID and, and an ops. What's person. that? SID is the sports information director or PR. Okay. And then your operations person. So kind of your day-to-day equipment, and travel, travel yeah. everything. So it's probably your travel party is 20. Okay. 12 players, you know, four coaches, and then kind of the rest of support staff. And you're based out of office spaces underneath an arena. And there's, I imagine, strength training area and a lot of other stuff. We're really lucky. Every team is different. We're with the Timberwolves and Lynx. Uh, we have a phenomenal facility um, with everything we need. Uh, some teams are out of colleges. Some teams are in pro arenas. So it all depends on kind of the ownership group. And I love it. I love being around it. I love learning. I love, you know, the competition part still, you know, the, the communication, the managing of all the players obviously is something that I think I just continually try to get better at every day. Cause I just think it's, it's constantly evolving. Every day is not the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's not a blueprint, which is exciting in a lot of ways, but also very challenging. Yeah. So another big topic in sports these days, college sports these days is the allowance of college players to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, their NIL. What do you make of that? How is that going to help? Is it going to harm? What's your sense of where it's going to go? I I mean, ultimately, I just, with the way things are, and I think even New York just had high school kids could maybe benefit from some of their name, image, and likeness. I just, ultimately, I think, you know, sports is going to change, like the NCAA, what we kind of know of sports is just going to shift. For the better or the worse? Yeah, I, I don't, and that's what I don't know yet. And I know things are all, always changing. I just... I know where I was, you know, came through and I kind of like it and the nostalgia of what I kind of went through and what it was. Yep. I think it's great in some ways because yes, some of these athletes are well-recognized and universities are making money off of them. But so I, I, I mean, I don't mind it. I just don't want it to affect like kind of the other sports and the ability for athletes to some of this stuff to fund what other sports, you know, would never have a chance to, to compete in college. Like, you know, fencing or yeah, you know, right. water polo or the exactly. not, fans, not headliner sports. Yeah. So I'm hope I, I just hope that, you know, there's still that ability for, for there's teams and a lot of them so that student athletes can continue to grow yeah. and go. But the NIL, I, I, I'm okay with it. I, you know, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if high school kids are going to be like, I'm going to not play my senior year and I'm going to go to college and start making money. And, so there's lots of things to be determined. I think I don't think that's great. I don't think yeah. that's great for the the towns and you know folks that get to watch these kids in high school. And then, but the college, yeah. I mean, if if universities are making money off of them, I, I mean, I do think that there's it's reasonable for them to go ahead and, and make some profit off of it. Obviously, paying taxes and I think all the things and the decisions and trust that you're going to have to have with people. It's there's just there's going to be some yucky stuff along the way but better I don't know if it's gonna be better <laughs> I just different for me I just don't I'm a little bit of the old school but I also understand that this is financially if yeah. you have to make money then it's should be able to be allowed to do you think it'll affect team dynamics and team sports you know one one kid succeeded and it's got a lot of money and bling and others not as well known or from a smaller town. I mean, what might those dynamics be like? I think it depends on the person, honestly. If they include and are 
all in and are doing the things and are it, it, the the one thing we always talk about because we obviously we get paid to do what we do is once your brand or your money and all these other things take precedent over the team then we're gonna have a problem then it's a problem because now okay. you're putting this ahead of this right and that's not because ultimately this is going to help you make money so but if you're you can't handle that and you're distracted or you're not doing what you're supposed to do or if you're doing it in a way that makes your teammates uncomfortable and it's all about you then yes so then there's another dynamic a coach has to kind of handle is having conversations of how to either to the person that's making money that they understand perception it may mm -hmm. not they may not even feel that way they may be a great teammate but somehow the perception of what you're doing is overshadowing them so that they'll have to work harder to bond with their teammates to make sure that they know that they're they're all in all the time. So there's just more, there'll be more conversations, more communication, more teaching on all the parties of, you know, kind of getting everybody to be on the same page and making sure that the team comes first. The coach's job is putting that glue together, right? All the time. <laughs> all the time. So what advice... What life lessons have you taken from all of this that you, uh, when you meet young, young people, men or women, uh -huh. figuring out their way through the world, what are your couple of best words of advice that you give them about, not about basketball, but about... No, about life. Um, yeah, building, building a life, crafting a life. I, I mean, I'm a true believer. I mean, you got to work hard. Like, I mean, I know it's cliche, but you're going to have to work. You're going to have to learn. It's kind of like lifelong learning. Like, you just have to, you just have to put in the work. It's not going to come to you. And then I also, one thing I always look back on is just the confidence, like have confidence. Don't lose that curiosity and that put yourself out there. Don't be worried about, you know, failing. Don't get caught up in just like, oh, I'm not ready. I, I, I don't know. You know, I need another year. Like if an opportunity comes and, and hopefully you're prepping and we're doing what you need, like take it, take it, you know, like. There's a zillion people out here that take jobs they're not ready for. Like, don't, don't just, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. Like put yourself out there and it isn't always going to go great, but it's maybe it's not the great situation for you. Maybe it's, you needed to learn those lessons, maybe whatever it is, you're going to bounce back. Um, but I think that just don't be afraid to, to kind of get out there and just have that self-confidence. Don't, don't have that doubt within you. Like just keep putting yourself out there. And and also the other part is just, for me, it's just life's going to take you on an, a journey <laughs> and you're not really in control and you're, you can prep, but don't feel like you don't, that you're the only one that doesn't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it isn't, it's not a, it's not a, a one person thing. Like there's many people that hit these pivot points and these transitions throughout their life. And I think for one, it's just don't, don't feel like you're the only one that doesn't know exactly what they're supposed to be doing, or they don't have that job yet. And, and just keep working and keep networking and just putting yourself out there. Did you ever wrestle with imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. Sort of notorious syndrome of, oh, wait, they put me in this job. They just don't really know. I, you know, ah, kind of that inner voice that your inner snarky voice that says all those things that you were just saying, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I know enough. I must be here because of luck or they were being kind to me. I'm, I'm not here because I actually yeah. earned it or have built that kind of track record, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I never knew really the name of it, but that's definitely. I mean, when I got my first head coaching job or was kind of looking around at it, definitely was like, oh, I haven't coached long enough. I haven't. And then there's other parts you're like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm, I'm capable. Like, but it definitely there was those moments of doubting and just like, oh, I just don't, I haven't had enough experience, you know, any which way you want to say it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's talking yourself off of that. And again, preparation makes you feel, you know, stronger about where you're at, but having the conviction of what you're doing, that you can do it and and trusting and obviously surrounding yourself with people that know, but yeah, I mean, as I say, we got to push those little voices and things down, you know, some people don't have them. Some people will be like, I got it. I'll take it. Like, and pay me the money and like, I haven't met that person, (laughs) but then there's others. So yeah, as I said, I I try to tell them is just don't, don't lose the confidence of like, put yourself out there and just do it, man. Just do it. You know, good things will happen. Yep. Failure is not fatal. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Keep on plugging. Yeah. So what's next for you? Got another season coming up starting in April. You got a couple months to slightly relax as a coach. Yeah, we're we're just starting, you know, college basketball starting back up. So we are scouting now. Actually, I head into a game on Sunday. So we'll go watch games, watch the draft, you know, players that'll be in the draft, both on TV and in person. And then we, you know, talk free agency anyway to make our team better. We'll also keep tabs on our our players. I'll head to Minnesota to work out some players. But yeah, we start to start to ramp back up once January hits, it gets pretty uh, fast and furious, but kind of never ends, but we try to stay connected with our players too. They're overseas. We watch games and then, you know, just prepping uh, for that and then seeing what opportunities will come down the road and just kind of take it, but really excited. We'll have a good team again, which is really good. It's great. So there is a WNBA draft. There is. So April 11th this year, it's uh-huh. right after, it's right after the final four. We start up like a week after that, like training camp. So the kids that get drafted, they just wrap things up. They wrap it up, put stuff in a bag, and then come. It's a quick turnaround when we, we talk to them. Once they stop their season, we're able to have interviews with them and talk to them. And one of the things we always tell them is like, have you talked to your professors? This thing comes hot and hairy. Like it's, you gotta, you gotta get it together. It's going to take you over. <laughs> right. And then at some point you'll be able to breathe and get everything situated. But until then... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of our, our off season and we'll, you know, meet zoom and talk through everything. So, so will the draft be televised? It doesn't seem to have it the is. same hoopla of the men's draft. Certainly. Yeah, it's not, I mean, obviously it's not pubbed as much, uh, which is a bummer, but yes, it is on ESPN. All right. They host all the rounds. So it's uh, a lot of fun to, yeah, to see the players and yeah, yeah. See the excitement about what their, their future holds. All right, well, keep an eye on the links on the court starting next April and see who you've added to the roster. <laughs> Please do. Katie, so great to talk with you. Have a great off season. Relax a little bit, maybe? A little, a little, a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hope I'll see you around town. You got it. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Dot com.